Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Homeless for Hire podcast. We apologize for the uh, extra week-long hiatus that we went on. Had some car issues that kind of made me not want to record, but we're back, and that means that we don't have to do episodes without Matthew, so everybody give a little applause to Matthew. Yay. So as always, Matthew and Andre are here recording with me, and today we're going to be talking about the recent vice president candidate appointment of Kamala Harris on the Biden ticket and what that means and kind of what we think about it and give our opinion. So we're going to kind of jump right in. I'm going to throw it to you guys to start, Matthew and Andre, and just kind of talk about where Biden's mind is in picking Harris, why he might have decided to do that and what that means. I'm going to disregard the opportunity to make an obvious dementia joke right there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're a better person than me, Matthew. Yeah. Uh, Andre, do you want to take away first and then I'll add what I have? Um, I'll start with some some general stuff. So allegedly, and granted, I got this from a New York Times article, so, you know, they're generally liable, but take this with a pinch of salt. Apparently, uh, Biden did not have, like, a a favorite or someone in mind beforehand when when he was going through his picks for VP um and he faced a lot of a lot of pushback allegedly from selecting uh Harris but in my mind the reason he picked Harris is because she has so much experience and her career has largely been based around dealing with criminal justice and general domestic issues which is i think something that Biden hasn't really he hasn't really done a good job of selling himself as being knowledgeable or competent in those areas throughout his uh his presidential run. So I think he's trying to sort of shore up any places he might come off as deficient in by selecting her. Yeah, exactly. And in addition to that, I mean, you can't ignore the whole diversity angle as well. I mean, he was under a lot of pressure to select a woman as his VP candidate with so many strong female candidates in the Democratic primary debates. Um, And then in addition to that, you know, hiring the first, you know, black female vice president nomination is also pretty huge for uh, his campaign. And I mean, we saw that this announcement was huge. He raised a lot of money in just the few days after he made his announcement. And he made even more when they first came out and like did a joint speech together just earlier this week. So in terms of a donation standpoint alone, it would seem that he's made, you know, a good, a good pick for his campaign at least. Well, I think it's interesting you bring up, you know, Kamala Harris being the first, you know, female African-American on the ballot as vice president. But of course, it's also the first South Asian candidate. And a lot of people have been saying that both the South Asian and the African-American part aren't true online. And I just find that ridiculous, mostly because every single bit of, you know, people talking about that are saying, well, you're not South Asian if you didn't live there, or you're not African-American, you're from Jamaica. I'm like, do people not understand how ethnicity works? I'm Italian. That doesn't mean I lived in Italy. It means I'm of Italian descent. Just like she is an African American. I'm not half Ukrainian. Matthew isn't Asian. We weren't we were raised in the US, so we we don't count, obviously. I mean, I usually (laughs) I usually just ignore that because I just see that as people attempting to discredit, you know, a 
candidate and that's there's so many like legitimate things you can hit any political candidate on that that seems just such a lazy one too i mean wrapped up in that also is the whole birtherism comment that trump made on twitter the other day you know about is she even eligible yes she's eligible um yeah very very uh very tasteful comment there mr trump thank you (laughs) yeah exactly it's like these are not the places you want to be pushing back on because as we saw during the democratic primary race there actually are a couple areas that you can legitimately push back on the Harris selection for. Well, I think there's, you know, plenty of areas you can. For example, a big movement right now is to defund the police. And a lot of people view Harris and her previous work as, you know, being in favor of the police. And a lot of people are calling her the cop candidate and people don't like that. And that's a legitimate criticism. Yet no one seems to be talking about that online in the news, people are, but I just find it interesting that the general public of America is more concerned with the fact that she may or may not be of a certain descent, and yet she clearly is of that descent. I'm going to say that depends a little bit where online you're going. I think if you stick to the social media side, you're probably going to see more of like the stuff that doesn't matter, like you know what her ethnicity is and where she was born. But there have been some pretty insightful articles, um, you know, talking about her stint as a DA, you know, as her stint as attorney general um, and in the Senate. Yeah, she's a senator. Um, And I think those articles bring up some good comparisons to some good reasons why she's a good selection for Democrats and why especially progressive Democrats shouldn't probably be as hopeless as they probably think they should be feeling but then also some areas where you know she has room to improve one of those being you know police reform yeah i'd agree with that i also think it's just if you especially if you stick to social media people you have to make a you have to create a legitimate argument and back your points up with evidence as to why uh some of her policies involving the usage of police are flawed in some regards and you're not going to find that on social media. That's way too much effort and it's way too much thinking and unpacking of ideas for people. So they, they'd rather just talk about her ethnicity, even though you can fact check that yourself in less than a, a few minutes. Well, I think that's the point that I was trying to make is that people seem to be upset with this, you know, appointment. And there are reasons to be upset. There are also many reasons to be happy about the appointment, but no one's on social media done the research to decide for themselves and I think that's kind of what I'm getting at with this whole election just in general is it's kind of do you want more of Trump or do you want to vote somebody who isn't Trump and that's it no one's really deciding what ideas are important to them and where they should then align because of that instead we're just looking at it as Trump or not Trump yeah. And I mean, full disclosure, I'll admit, when I heard the Harris announcement, like that was definitely not who I wanted to see as nominated for vice president for Biden, you know, especially considering some of her, you know, past history on police reform and some questionable decisions she's made, you know, regarding, you know, especially trans people in prisons and things like that. Um, but having done some you know, of research, you know, as her time as a senator, it does seem like she's coming a little bit more, you know, away from that. I mean, she's addressed a lot of things that we, we would generally support. Like she, you know, introduced an anti-lynching bill 
that didn't get as far as, you know, we would have liked, but is an important one to address in Congress. She's addressed a couple of different bills in terms of, you know, aid for people from natural disasters, including the hurricane that hit Puerto Rico. And I mean, considering how we've already had a bunch of events that can be classified as natural disasters this year alone, and the trend is showing that, you know, that's only going to continue, that speaks positively towards, you know, what her stance could be in regards to climate change and issues like that. And those are very, and those are other ideals that we support and would like to see happen more in this country. So basically, even though, even I was very, you know, pessimistic at the beginning, I've become a, not as, you know, doom and gloom as originally thought, you know. It's not quite that bad. Quick question, Matthew. Did you want to, did you prefer Susan Rice as the VP nominee? I mean, frankly, my ideal candidate, if, you know, we were looking at, you know, who was in the conversation, I probably would have preferred, you know, Elizabeth Warren, simply because she was one of the presidential candidates I supported most. Um, I would have liked to see, you know, Buttigieg get a nod somewhere, but I didn't think he was likely as a VP candidate because, you know, we knew that he was looking towards a woman, which I think is also important. So, yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah I, I would say curious. probably Elizabeth Warren as my first one, and then maybe Susan Rice as my second. Uh, I'll be honest, I did not want to see Koblakar. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. I I've never felt more in agreement with you, Matthew, than that entire statement of Elizabeth Warren, Susan Rice, way at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I kind of had Harris and Kobukar the same section and like, I didn't really want to see either of them, but Kobukar was way at the bottom, like as far down as you can go pretty much for me. What I thought was interesting was, you know, it seemed like a lot of people backed off on wanting to be vice president for Biden in the past month or so. Because I remember at one point, a lot of people were hopeful that we would have, you know, a whole wash of potential options because obviously Biden said he wanted to go with a female. And so we thought we were going to get like this huge candidate list. And then it, you know, boiled down. Obviously, it's going to boil down to just a couple, but it boiled down from like, the 40 we thought we could possibly get to like, there's only five real options. And then it boiled down to, you know, just a couple people. And I just thought that was interesting. I thought more people would have wanted to be on the ticket, especially with everything going on, a chance to, you know, really help the country. I mean, I think that's a reflection of the political climate we're in right now, where Biden needs to have a candidate that will shore up some of his weaknesses in areas. Um, and so that's naturally going to limit the field already to a pretty small pool, even more so when, you know, you're looking specifically for a woman. And so at that point, you know, you've only got, you know, a list of a certain number of people. And I don't think that list would have hit 40, honestly. Um, I was fully expecting only five to 10 real potential names to be thrown. And I expected that list to be narrowed down quite quickly. I was actually most surprised that it took this long for him to pick someone, because I was actually anticipating, you know, him to make an announcement, you know, mid-July. Well, the reason I say I thought there was going to be a lot was because, and I think it maybe stems from this whole, like, idea of Biden as, you know, running a campaign. I still don't know what Biden's campaign is, so I was kind of, you know, in the dark of what does he really, like, what's his main focus? I'm still not sure about that, so... Who's he going to pick? 
because if I think his main focus is one thing, but he thinks it's a completely different thing, he could have picked someone out of left field. And I guess that's why I thought there would be more candidates. But I'm with you. I absolutely thought we would have known, you know, middle of July. The only other, you know, possibility in my mind was maybe wait until, you know, a month or two before the election, which is kind of what he did just to kind of drum up hype. Like, I know it's not a month or two before the election, but it's getting close now. And so, you know, maybe that was why, you know, get a bit more publicity going. But I was surprised he didn't have one picked. Really, I thought maybe early July even. I also think a part of it could just be that they had to uh, sort of weed out anyone in the Democratic Party leadership who was a quote-unquote enemy of Trump, or not Trump, sorry, Biden, or who had made disparaging comments in the past. It's one of the reasons I was kind of surprised that uh, Harris even made it as the VP nominee just because she she attacked Biden during the last round of the um, of the Democratic debates in June. I think it was June twenty seventh, and like because of that, I was genuinely shocked that Biden made the choice to pick her. But I guess again, as Matthew and I have kind of discussed, it was a matter of shoring up potential weaknesses and possibly as a diversity And I mean, to thing. Michael's point about not really knowing what direction the Biden campaign is going on, I mean, he's mostly been a, at this point, stay quiet, he's the anti-Trump pick right now. And that's most of his campaign. By picking Harris, he does, you know, provide some very clear direction on his ticket, you know. Like, you know, while this isn't the most progressive candidate you can pick, you know she is in support of climate change. You know she is in support of, you know, um, civil liberties and, you know, backing bills of that nature. And you know she's going to take uh, things like gender issues, race issues very seriously. She has championed for race issues in the past. So these give him a lot of ammunition in that regard. Well, let's, let's take a little left turn here and talk about the elephant in the room. And we kind of mentioned just briefly there, Matthew, with progressives. It's kind of hard if you, you know, you can put Harris towards the progressives, but she's clearly not one of the most progressive Democrats, as you said. What do you think the progressive side of the Democratic Party thinks about this? You know, like AOC, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, what do they think of this candidate choice? I mean, they're most likely disappointed. I think that's the simplest way to put it, but they have... Again, they have no real alternatives, so I think their best their best bet would just be attempting to get Biden and Harris in office, and then sort of not not pressure them, but um, I guess harry them to consider more progressive ways yeah, of I'm thought. Yeah, I'm very conflicted on this actually, because if you had you know asked me what I thought of her as she stood like, you know, five, maybe eight years ago, I would have said she's a very establishment-oriented politician, you know, pro-status quo, you know, she's got the uh, attorney general background as, you know, very pro-cop and things like that. But then when she became a senator, her voting record gets very interesting, actually, because if you look at the things that she votes on and how she votes, she actually leans really progressive, especially compared to, like, the median of the field, which would seemingly go completely contrary to the kind of rhetoric that 
surrounds her and she herself kind of pushes at times of her being, you know, pro-establishment, you know, those years ago. So I'm wondering, you know, is this just a reflection of, you know, her maybe bowing to the to the status quo to get to the Senate, you know, and then try to affect change from within, like she claims? Or is it a sign of, you know, genuine political growth over the years? You know, people's political ideologies do change throughout the years, and maybe hers has changed to be a more progressive one. Or is, you know, are those initial reads of her back when she was in California and serving in San Francisco the more accurate depiction of how she's going to vote and what her actual beliefs are? And I don't have a clear answer right now. Well, I think that's very interesting. I didn't know she had voted more on the progressive line the majority of the time. I knew that, you know, obviously there had been times where she had voted more progressively in terms of bills and things that were being passed. But I didn't know it was as much as you sort of just mentioned it was. And that's interesting because I would not have considered her a progressive at all until hearing that. But if she's voting mostly on those, you know, progressive tickets on the lines of passing them, that's that's good news for, you know, people who want things like Medicare for all. We're obviously, we're not going to get it, but we're going to take maybe take some steps towards it. And that's right. really good and news. It's more people. than just voting. She has also introduced a lot of bills as well. And, you know, those are things like that anti-lynching bill that I mentioned before. And, you know, the ones for humanitarian relief in Puerto Rico. Things that, you know, would be considered very progressive bills, actually. That's why I'm so conflicted on this issue, you know, of whether she's a true progressive or not. You know, I myself tend to vote a little progressive, but I think closer to the moderate side than perhaps you, Michael. So this presents a really interesting case to me, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, to be to give her some credit, I don't think it's quite as easy as say, like saying that she's been strictly establishment versus you know struggling to become progressive once she hit the senate because she did do things like oppose uh prop eight when california had it on the ballot to try to uh to try to basically amend the state constitution so that only marriage between a man and a woman would be valid um and she's always she's had uh she's passed things involving environmental protection and um and lgbtq rights while she was still working in california as the DA, but, you know, I guess as someone who does a lot of her, did a lot of her work through the criminal defense system, I can easily see her mindset as being of, she needed to address all social issues through that criminal defense system, whether that be through laws in the court or greater police efforts and activity. Well, and I'll be interested to see what happens if Biden and Harris get elected in terms of this whole defund the police campaign, obviously, I don't think Biden and Harris are going to be the two to actually do a huge, like, reformation of the police. But I think there could be some, you know, sort of movement for it with them and as president and vice president. And I wonder how far somebody who worked in the system would be willing to go with that and where where her limits would be versus where somebody like, right. say, Right, and that's Warren's honestly the most be. interesting thing to me, is because, as you've been saying, on social media and in most of the discourse, she has been portrayed as pretty pro-cop, which is a dangerous thing right now when I think a lot of public sentiment is very anti-cop. 
but it does present some really unique opportunities for her. And so that, to me, is one of the things I'll be most interested in seeing moving forward. Yeah, it's a bit early to say, but I think we can we can safely rule out defunding the police if Harris has any sort of say in whatever policies Biden comes up with in regards to handling law enforcement, especially given she's she's passed stuff like Proposition 69 to give cops greater authority to do stuff like collect DNA samples from any adults who uh, have been arrested for a felony or stuff like that, stuff that would probably draw a lot of public ire mm -hmm. in the present day. And it should be known that as a whole, she is viewed very favorably by the police union. At least that was my understanding. Maybe that has changed very recently, but at least in her time as, you know, DA and attorney general and all that, she was viewed very favorably by the police union as well. So something else to consider. Is she willing to, like, disregard that favor and maybe have them turn against her? Or will she try to work some sort of, you know, middle ground between the two entities or... Will she just continue to rely on their support? Well, I do think ultimately that's, you know, the key question of a Biden-Harris, you know, presidency. It'll be interesting to see where they go with police, and that'll give us a good guideline of how far is Harris willing to go just in general. Because as we're seeing with, you know, Biden, the Democratic candidate, Vice presidency can be a stepping stone to presidency. And I have to imagine that, you know, if Biden wins with Harris on the docket, Harris is going to be back when Biden is no longer eligible to run, running for president and trying to get elected. And if she does well as a vice president and, you know, comes out in support of the people, I think she's got a good chance at maybe winning that candidacy. But does that mean she's going to win, you know, the presidency, even if she's the Democratic candidate? Well, we don't know. The police might be less willing to back her if she goes against them. And that could be, you know, that could be the nail in the coffin for a Harris presidency down the line. And so, you know, this, the time right now politically and just everything we're going through as a country has repercussions to everyone's political careers as well. I'm very, you know, interested to see how mm -hmm. that plays out. In the next and I have to say, years. while I do have slightly more concerns about Harris than biden i will also say i have slightly more hope for harris than biden in terms of like i don't think we're going to see anything super spectacular from biden in the next four years if he gets you know elected i also don't think he's going to do anything super disastrous um whereas you know harris i don't have enough information on to say you know whether i'll be fully supportive of her or not but i could see room to where i could be supportive of her in the future potentially Well, and I'd, I'd kind of echo that because when Harris first started, you know, running for the presidency this time around, I liked her at the beginning. And then, of course, you know, she kind of started fighting everyone on stage. A couple of them did that this time around. The Democratic uh, primary debates really were very different than what I was used to seeing from previous years. But I didn't like the whole idea of everyone was fighting with each other for the candidacy. And she was one of those. But... I liked her ideology. I liked her stance on things. I liked the way she presented herself in the debates. And I think that's very important, you know, as a, you know, a public speaker and a communications person just in general. It's important that our leader is able to express themselves in a, you know, understandable, 
down-to-earth but also leaderly way. And that's something that I think Harris really excels at. And I think that could be huge for her as vice president, especially under Biden, who we've seen a lot of, you know, public speaking. Yeah, and that kind of debate, I think, harkens back to her prosecutor days, frankly, where you have to be kind of combative. Um, What it does make me, though, is very interested to see the vice president debates, because, you know, she's going to go after Pence, who has to defend, you know, this administration's response to things like COVID and the protests. And you know she's going to come. And if she brings that same fighting style that she had in the Democratic primaries, she can very quickly bring a lot of heat to these debates. And if Pence can't come up with answers, that alone could swing, you know, maybe a lot of on-the-fence voters, you know? Voters who... Oh, Matthew, that's gonna be a, it's gonna be a bloodbath. I can't wait. I'm bringing popcorn. I'm bringing a chair. Getting myself nice and set up and comfy. Not in the splash zone, obviously, but that's gonna be a sight to see. I, I'm telling you. What's the splash zone in this metaphor, Andre? <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that up to your imagination, Michael. I was gonna say, frankly, I kind of want to see the vice president debates more than I want to see the president debates because I kind of know what I'm gonna get from both Trump and Biden, and frankly, I don't think those are gonna go anywhere. But what I I am really, like you said, interested to see these VP debates because at the very least, it's going to be entertaining, I'm sure. And if it actually has a lot of good information there, like if that's the only thing Harris brings to Biden's campaign, she could potentially, you know, win enough swing voters to make him look very scary. Well, what I can't wait for is Pence is the wild card. Like, Trump will say something, and then Pence will say the exact opposite, like, an hour later. And, uh. and I just, I, I can't wait for that to happen again. And this time with, you know, Harris, who, like in the Democratic debates, will attack back. Last, you know, election, there was less attacking going on just in general from the Democratic side. But now the Democrats are going to be able to attack back with Harris because she is good at that, as much as I didn't like it when it was against other Democrats because you're supposed to be a party coming together to pick somebody. It is important, you know, if somebody attacks you from a differing perspective, you have to be willing to defend yourself and, you know, maybe strike back. And Pence has no idea what's going on like (laughs) 95% of the time, whether that's his fault or not. It's just going to make it hilarious. (laughs) Because, I mean, I think we're on agreement that Pence in general probably has, you know, more intellect than most of the people in this administration. But the fact that even he clearly doesn't know what the messaging is supposed to be all the time says wonders about the organization of that. I think it could also be my guys. My guy's just tired and sick of all this. He just, he just. If I were him, I just want an out from this administration and just forget this ever happened. That I was ever associated with this. If I was him, I would have been like, you know, sitting there praying <laughs> that Trump decided to drop uh, it and that pick someone me of else that up. Clip earlier this week, where you know Trump completely bashed the entire office of the VP, saying it wasn't meant to be, like it wasn't worth anything. And then he's like, oh yeah, but Pence is a great guy. And also, we know the VP doesn't mean much. And that clip might have made my entire week. (laughs) It's astonishing how quickly Trump goes from saying, like, something on, you know, 
one side of an argument to the complete the opposite guy, in, like, the, the matter of, matter. like, five seconds. Michael, you know, some people say you can test too much. Who? Who, who says that? Oh, you know, people. People have said it. <laughs> look at this look at this chart here look at these look at these data numbers which means we're the we're, up, we're below the world we are below the world <laughs> i oh, i completely that... i completely get everything he meant in that interview by the way like everything he meant <laughs> i, don't I understand know. it was that just all of it was where wrong. he showed him the chart and then told jonathan <laughs> he couldn't you know test he couldn't provide statistics by population percent was to me Oh, so good. So beautiful. Like, Michael, you and I have taken so many stats courses at this point. Like, and it's, we all know, you know that between you, the two of us, you have a better handle on stats than I do. But even I know, like, oh, my God, that chart tells you absolutely nothing. Like, the argument Trump was trying to make of, you know, if we test more, we're going to have more positive cases that is true. However, that's still a bad thing. Just because you're right that if we test more people, we're probably going to, you know, show more positives because we've tested more people. That's still a bad thing that we have more cases. That doesn't mean we get to test less and they magically aren't happening. Also, you know, Jonathan was talking about number of deaths. He wasn't even talking about test, like, number of tests for most of it, and Trump just kept trying to deflect back to, oh, it's because we've been doing more tests. No, we're talking about the number of people that have died! It actually yes, because testing them. people is a lethal act. It That's actually... One in four them. people that test get killed, apparently. <laughs> don't, don't we get credit uh, for killing people with COVID tests? Come on! I just, I can't, I can't. The, the amount of things that happened in that interview, which is like now two or three weeks old, and it is still coming back around. It just blows my mind that all of that, you know, I watched that interview when I woke up, like, I think it was like two weeks ago. I watched the interview and I just sat there and went, how are you that, that convinced you're excellent and that the country's doing well? When literally you're making graphs that show that we're the worst and you're still saying we're the best. If if anyone is listening and you have not watched this interview, HBO has it on their YouTube channel for free. And Go watch it right HBO now. And you will be amazed. to tell you exactly what you can expect from it. Because <laughs> HBO puts nothing out for free, but they decided this interview was too important for people to not have access. Well, I think, you know, we got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think we've just about, you know, covered everything with the appointment of Kamala Harris and kind of how we feel about it. So that's going to do it for us today on the Homeless for Hire podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you know, you can write to us at homelessforhirepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any comments about our episode, you know, you want to fact check us, please go ahead because we will not be offended if we are wrong and we will correct it. Or if you just want to send me hate mail, I don't care, whatever you want to do. But thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.